This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson, you know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's music row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Hey, I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the St. Jude kids. St. Jude's doing incredible work fighting childhood cancer. And because of donations, like the ones that you get, families never receive a bill ever from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, food, none of that. Help St. Jude stop childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope. Get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. It's going to look great on you. So join all the doctors, researchers, and me in this fight. All right, text the word Bobby. It's only six numbers to 785-833. Again, text the word Bobby to just these six numbers, 785-833. All right, welcome to episode 199 with Jim Beaver. Which you come in, in, we've been up here before, just the whole setup wasn't up. Yeah, I've never seen the lights up here. You're talking, to the, talking to the mic there. I'm sorry, I, I've, I've never done this before. You're new at this. This is literally my first podcast, my uh, first Bobby cast, I'm sorry. Have you ever done a podcast? Never. Oh, you haven't done any? No, Oh, man. good, well, welcome. I'm like, just, you know. You're, but you've you, talked in a microphone before in your life, right? Of course I've used a microphone. Here's my story yeah. with Jim real quick. Okay. So, uh, we go out and Jim and I, Jim and I. Are, we go out. We, well, All right. We go out and we're in Amarillo and... El Paso one weekend. And I think it was El Paso where you came up on stage. Uh, or you called me up on stage. Yeah, let's, well, let's be, let's be. We're know. playing. Jim has been writing songs with me and a little bit with Eddie too uh, for this record we're about to cut. And by the time you hear this, it may already be out. But so Jim's in the audience and I'm like, Jim Beavers, come up and play. I said, Jim's written such songs as, you know, <laughs> uh, 5150 from Dirk Bentley and Red Solo Cup and watching airplanes. I'm like, Jim, come up. And the crowd's like, oh, wow, we got a real-life Nashville songwriter. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. clapping for you. Yeah. Pretty cool. And Jim walks up and does like three words. I'm like, thank you. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, come on. Well, I didn't. I had no idea. I didn't know that you was were going to call me. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know. Man. I didn't want to give you a heads up. Yeah, I know. I it's know. not, because if I go, because we'd been, for two days we'd been together just writing songs on the road, having, you know, talking. Right. And I said, hey, I'm going to call you up on stage tonight at the end of the, the show. Yeah. You would have spent a lot of the time that we were creating going, oh, dear God, I got to go sing in front of 2,000 people. I would have been thinking about it the whole time. And, so, and, and I wouldn't have been able to enjoy your show. I was trying to watch your show just to because to, I hadn't seen it before. So I was really trying to be like an audience member, and that would have changed my, my point of view. So I'm glad, I'm glad in retrospect that you didn't. But, so strategic uh, move on my part. So strategic. Like str- strategery in, in the highest level. Yeah, no question. And I think you, you came out and did a little bit of Red Solo Cup. Yep. And then... You, you wrote drink a beer and you went out and you went drink a beer. Thank you very much. And we're yeah. like, come on. I just gave a chorus. I just gave a chorus. I didn't know how long you wanted me up there. I was I was just trying to get off stage. But so. you see how tightly loose we run a show. Yes, I do now. 
Yes. Like it, you, you would look at it and go, oh, they don't know what they're doing. They're just out there doing whatever they want as as loosely as possible. However, not the case. A lot of it is packaged to look like we're yes. running loose. And there's an art to that. And I know that there's a, a high level of skill to... to Moderate uh, level of skill. And, well, but it's it's like we kind of when we go into the studio... You know, if you're cutting demos or even cutting a record or something, you, you have you may have very clear ideas of what you think you want to hear, but you've also got to allow for some magic to happen that you didn't plan on, whether it's the musicians or just a happy accident. So, I think you obviously have a you do a lot of this, so you know you know how to balance it out. But I wasn't ready to come on stage. I don't. I, it was a blur. But you did have your nice T-shirt on. I did have a nice T-shirt because Thank even goodness. before the show, you're like, I got my nice, yeah. it, my ZZ Top T-shirt. Yeah, my, my show shirt. Yeah, it's nice and tight and black. I didn't want you to wear your show shirt and not be able to do a show. Mm -hmm. Had man spank sewed into yeah. the inside of it. It's, it had everything. You look great. Thanks, bro. Thank you. All right, so we're here. I'm gonna run through before we start talking about the life of Jim Beavers. Oh man, I'm gonna mention and play some of the clips from songs. We'll come back to them. Uh, 5150 from Dirk Spentley. The song went number one. Congratulations on that. Thanks, bro. Wrote that one. Uh, Am I the Only One from Dirk Spentley. Am I the only one who wants to have fun tonight? Went number one. Congrats on that. I appreciate that. Sideways from Dirk Spentley. All up tempo, all fun. Went number one. Yeah. Congratulations Thank on that. Thank you again, Bobby. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. I'm very congratulatory <laughs> today. Uh, why don't we just dance from Josh Turner? You wrote that one. Why don't we just dance? Yeah, right on the hook, too. I like that. Went number one, drink a beer. So I'm gonna sit right here. Number one, wrote that. Still sound good. <laughs> Felt good on my lips. Tim McGraw went number one. So we'll walk through some more of those in a wow. minute and some other songs you wrote. But yeah. I wanted to highlight one, two, three, four, five. Six number ones. Okay. And you have a lot of number twos and some songs that I thought went number one. For example, we'll come back to Red Solo Cup, which you wrote, which only peaked at number nine, yeah. but I think maybe remembered more than any of those number ones. Oddly enough, I mean, Red Solo Cup is just, it's a song that I, I you know, I have to I have to talk about on a weekly basis. Somebody brings it up. You do. It had a huge impact and, and it was... Uh, you and I talked about it one time. It was like that. That song to me is a perfect example of that song was wanting to be written because that 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 notion of good times and that cup was just floating in the ether, and somebody just had to put a name to it. And that's all we did. It was like it was just a. But more than that, you, what? more than that, you're not giving yourself enough credit. The songs songs don't just float. Yeah. You you have to be. Why don't we just dig in on this one for a second, then? Because I like that. First of all, let's relax. Yeah. Let's well, maybe, I, maybe I'm not saying the song itself or the lyrics were floating, but you you can't sit down and manufacture or predict what happened with that song. I guess is what I'm trying to say is that one and one really did make three. It was like, but who noticed that that was such a part of everybody's everyday life that you go, huh? Where'd the idea come from? Yeah, like there's so many red cups. Yeah. No one's writing about that. Uh, well, I mean, I, I had the idea for a long. All all songwriters or most songwriters, I assume, uh, you know, now on our phones, you know, just keep a, a running list of any little tidbit. Could be an idea. Could be just a hook. Could be anything. And um, my son and I were going to a Vanderbilt football game, and he was a little little boy, and we were walking through the. Um, tailgate area and and I, I don't only remember this in retrospect because the song became so big but i remember walking through and, and i noticed for some reason everybody was drinking out of these red cups i was like red cups man everybody everybody's got the red cup so i pulled my phone out and i typed in red plastic cup is what i wrote down and um 
didn't think anything else about it because it, it joined a list of, I don't know, 2,000 ideas or, or more that most never turn into anything, but I, I always, on a discipline, just try to write them down. But then, but then within a couple of weeks, either I, I can't write, I think I was at my house and I was walking through the room and, and on TV, it was either a commercial or a movie or something, but there was a scene of playing beer pong and they had the red cups again. And so that really made my spidey sense tingle. Can I say that? Yeah. Is that this, is this whatever you family want. Family rated? Yeah. It didn't and, have to uh, be. Take it to porn if you want. <laughs> and this is, this is not. And so that made me immediately go back, well, there it is again. And so then I thought there was something there and I thought, you know, maybe I don't know, I don't really believe this, but maybe the universe was telling me that there's something there. And, and um, then um, I was sitting out by myself one night on my, on my back deck playing my guitar and smoking a cigar where, you know, a lot of, a lot of, Ideas and, and songs have gone up and hits have started for me. I don't know why. So that's why I smoke a lot now. No. <laughs> I need to smoke more. And um, and I just it, it just kind of popped into my head, just that, that chorus. And then uh, I got together with, with guys you know, the Warren Brothers and my brothers. So it was unique that there were two sets of brothers. And we were just trying to make each other laugh. We never in a, in a million years thought anything would happen with that song or anybody would cut it. So it was just crazy. Still is. So whenever you decide to you know to do that song and, and i mean you write it and you say you didn't expect anyone to cut it like what do you do with it we we actually the the, the true story is um we were over at a, a studio in berry hill called station west that a buddy of all of ours named luke wooten runs and i think the warren the warren brothers and the beavers brothers we call ourselves the warren beavers which is obvious we were writing i think every other wednesday or something we just had a regular writing point we also wrote felt good on my lips. It was on kind of that same crew. We were just trying to come up with something. And Luke Wooten was walking by and heard us in there singing. He poked his head. He goes, what is that? You know, oh, it's just a stupid song. We're just cutting up. It's about a red cup, you know, whatever. Anyway, he loved it. And that day before we left, he came and he said, y'all come in here and just put it down. Just put it down. So we literally walked into the studio. He had one microphone set up and we just cut it one time for him because he wanted it. And then that is what got out. And and what did, and then how does the song get out? What does that mean? What does that even mean? I think, mean get I think out? people started forwarding it, forwarding it around to each other, and then we actually made a little kind of fake CD that had like five or six songs on it that we had written. And Red Solo Cup we put on there, and felt good, felt good on my lips were was on there as well. And it was more just kind of us uh, a vehicle to pitch the songs we had written to the town, you know. So artists would would maybe cut them. Or at least somebody would laugh and have have fun. Anyway, so Red Solo Cup just started jumping out, and everybody was talking about it, and people started calling us, wanting to write with us because they heard it. I mean, I, I you know I could have never predicted it. Anyway, I don't know exactly how it happened, but somehow it got to you know the story of hers. It got to Toby Keith out on the road somewhere, and you know people were listening to it on their buses, and he heard it, and he said, you know, the story he tells is you know the the song ended. He said that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Play it again. And they did. He said, I'm going to cut it. And they did. So that was it, man. It did just... anyone before Toby come and go, hey, I want to cut it? Tim McGraw at one point said he was going to cut it and put it on his record like as a hidden track or something. Oh, like, not the Target. The dreaded yeah, Target maybe, extra yeah, maybe track. Maybe the Best oh. Buy special yeah. limited edition only in the Southeast. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how serious he was. but um, And that didn't come to fruition? No, it didn't. As far as I know. It may be so hidden. I mean, right? It may be on one Target CD <laughs> so, somewhere. So secret, so secret. No, it never did happen. So. Is that exciting when they go, hey, Tim McGraw's thinking about it? And then is it deflating when they go, you're not going to do it? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, you can't you, you can't help but get your hopes up, at least me. I can only speak for myself. I, I still get my hopes up, you know, about songs that, that I feel a strong connection to or, or, or just that I think are really great, and I, I really wish somebody would um, sing them or, or that people could hear them. And um, you're inevitably you're, you're going to be disappointed about 95% of the time. And I, I've gotten a lot better at not getting emotionally invested in songs, um, but I still do. I still do. You I think if you lose that ability, then you may lose your reason for writing. So I don't want to lose it all, but I have gotten better at kind of smoothing out the emotional wavelengths of uh, up highs and lows and getting your hopes up and stuff like that. With a song like Red Solo Cup, which peaked at nine, which is what I'm looking at here. I would have thought, had you just asked me, that that was a number one song with the impact that it had kind of on the country music culture. It lasts. I still play it sometimes inside of our dance party. Yeah. Like, that's still a fun song. And just monetarily speaking, does that song make anywhere close to, let's say, I Felt Good on My Lips? Uh, because of the downloads? Prob like probably not. If you just want to get in the weeds of the business, no, the, mo the, you know, the majority of our money is all made, you know, on how long the song stays in the top five, to be honest. And, and the way things are now with songwriters, it's like you, you really can only make a living if you're having hits, hits on the radio. I mean, streaming has not been good to us. Um, there's really not a lot of synchronization rights to be, to be spoken of. So, no, I would say that Felt Good On My Lips probably made more money than, than a Red Soul Cup, although Red Soul Cup, I'm sure, had a bigger, you know, cultural impact. Now, it may have sold, you know, Red Soul Cup probably sold more, you know, copies. And like I said, like you said, without question, if I play a writer's round or something, you know, even people who don't know or like country music, they always know that song. That's the one I know I can do. And they'll go, oh, I, yeah, my, my cousin... Yeah, got drunk to that or something. So I think everybody's cousin got drunk to that. Yeah, every cousin yeah. has yeah. gotten drunk to that song. Maybe um, maybe lots of cousins. You grew up in Texas. I did. Where? What town? Um, I lived um, in a town called Garland um, for a while, and then I went to high school in Jacksonville, which is in East Texas, not far from Tyler, and part of the Piney Woods, which I know you grew up in the pines of. Uh, well, I grew up in Mountain Pine, Arkansas. Arkansas. I mean, you even have the word pine in, yeah, the, I guess in your town. We're so. also probably cousins. Yeah, that's well, the case. you know, that's how it works down there. And you go from there, and did you study music in school? Were you that kid? Were you the music kid? I didn't study. No, I played. Uh, I didn't. I never studied music, um, but I played. I started playing banjo when I was probably about 13. I went to a, uh, I was at a church camp, and uh, I saw a guy named Bobby Porter playing banjo one afternoon at, at one of our little, you know, where all the kids have to walk over and listen to somebody do something. And uh, I was I remember just, it was a real watershed kind of moment. I was very mesmerized by it. And I was taking lessons from him, you know, a week later. And uh, so I played banjo for a while, and I started playing guitar just a couple of years after that. But Shit. I never formally studied anything. You have to tell your folks, I'd like a banjo? Yeah, I did. I had to go in and say, Mom, Dad, I have some bad news. <laughs> <laughs> what is it, son? I want to take banjo lessons. Oh, God. Anything but that, please. So how uh, did they get you a banjo? Do they go to the pawn shop? Where do you get a banjo? Music stores have Yeah, banjos? I went with Bobby. He took me, and uh, he took me to a, a music store and helped me pick one out. Yeah. Were you the banjo kid at school? Um, yeah, I don't think there are any other ones, so I probably was the banjo kid. When and, they were like, there's little Jimmy, little yeah, Jimmy Banjo. Yeah, oh, Mr. Banjo. They call me Banjo Beavers, a couple of guys. Ah, yeah, it works. And I know you love Steve Martin. I did. And I, I, would love, I loved Steve Martin, and on the, I had the 45 of King Tut, and on the flip side was him playing a banjo song, and that also was another reason why I wanted to learn. It's called Sally Gooden. It's an old banjo standard that he plays. It's the flip side. So, 
so you're studying oh no you're you're learning i studying learning to me is the same you're not studying it in I school just, no are you how are you learning are we just playing were just you, playing i had an older brother books. who played a little bit um and I had a good friend named Dale. He took guitar lessons from Bobby. I took banjo lessons from Bobby, and he was my best friend. And on the weekends, you know, this is pre-good video games or any kind of cell phone or any kind of major. I mean, that's, that's all we did. We sat around, we picked, and we listened to records, and we tried to slow them down, figure them out. I was, um, you know, I had a cassette, and I would wait for the radio to play my favorite song, and I'd miss the intro, but I'd get the rest of it, and I'd sit there and try to learn the song, and and. Uh, and I think that tactile, you know, relationship with music, which we don't have anymore, I think that was real, you know, no pun intended, real instrumental in just me, you know, being all in and, and being into it. And then, you know, you start meeting other people and weirdos like you and you start putting together bands and, you know, you just do it because you love it. You're not really thinking why. Right. You just want to do it. So whenever you're going to school, going to college, are you wanting to pursue music? No, I went to uh, I went to school at Baylor in Waco, Texas, and I was a business uh, and broadcasting major. Um, I, they probably didn't have any kind of commercial music program that I know of. I'm sure they had a music program, but I had no interest in learning how to read music or being in an orchestra. That never. I wanted to go play in honky tonks, so I did that. So you kept playing though, as you were yeah, playing yeah. business, you kept playing music. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I played in a band. In fact, I played in a band. Um, played a couple of bands, but one the band I, I ended up playing with at Baylor. And back then, this is the late '80s, and then you know, country was really about to it was really about to boom big in the early '90s. But in the late '80s in Texas, it was a thing, man. And you could make a for a for a a college kid. I mean, I made good money on the weekends, and there's so many dance halls and places down there. And they're still there, and everybody danced. And so you just go play top 40 covers. Man, that was great for my playing and writing. I had to, hey, we need to learn this new Dwight Yoakam song for this weekend and, and stuff like that. So, And that band was called Sons of the Desert. They actually ended up getting a record deal after I, I left to move up here. And then they, they got, got better deal. when you left. Yeah, the guy that replaced me was yeah, a really sure. good Couldn't lead have been singer. worse. I mean, no kidding. He's a really good lead singer. Oh, were you the singer? Yeah, yeah. I was kind of the main singer. And then a guy named Drew Womack uh, replaced me, and then they came up here and got a record deal after I had already moved up here. So it was kind of a weird, weird uh, circle. Weird, and were you jealous a little bit? I really wasn't because I had no interest in being an artist or having a record deal or being involved with any of that stuff. I, it, I was more just happy and thought it was cool and happy for them, you know, and, and thought it'd be an interesting thing to be a piece of, you know. So. so you moved to Nashville after graduation from Baylor? Correct. So 91? Yep. You move here, and what's the plan? What do you want to do? I wanted to um, run a record company someday. That's what I want to do. My first job in town, I had a couple of unpaid internships. My first job was um, mailroom at Capitol, um, 15 grand a year, and maybe the happiest I've ever been to get a job, you know. Um, and so that was my first job here. And um, then I kind of uh, moved into the finance department uh, because they had a job opening, and I, I really didn't want to do finance, but... It was the first way out of the mailroom, so I, I took it. And in retrospect, it was a great, really great opportunity to learn so much about just the business side of, of how everything, if you know where the money's going, you know, then you kind of have to figure out everything else. And at that time, Garth was exploding. And so there was just so much financial stuff going on and so much energy at the label that uh, it, it was a great educational experience for me. That's where I met Tom. So my manager, Tom Betchy, yep. 
was the guy who was like, hey, you know, I think you'll like. I think you like Jim Beavers. He kind of set us up on our blind date. He did. He was my boss for a while. That's right. And I was uh, talking to him today. We were flying back from New York. And, I was, and we were talking about some stuff. And he goes, let me tell you about Jim. I said, what's up? He goes, that guy used to play guitar in his office when he should have been working. <laughs> That's exactly right. It was like he should have been doing like what he's supposed to be doing. But we'd walk by and he'd be over there writing songs and playing know, guitar the whole time. It's true. It's true. But I was just really quick with my work and then I'd, I'd keep a guitar <laughs> in my office and I'd, you know, make up funny songs for people and I'd write, you know, all that kind of stuff. So when I look back, it makes complete sense of what happened and kind of where I ended up. But at the time, I didn't, I could never have predicted it or thought it would happen like this, you know, that I'd be sitting here with you or it's just. Yeah, this is a big highlight of your life. I mean, sure. this is it. I mean, sure. I, I told my wife, this is it. And we're moving back to Texas tonight. You've hit the apex so, after back this. Back to U-Haul in your driveway right now. You uh, knew Leanne Womack from before Nashville? High school. High school. Um, when I moved to Jacksonville, Texas, where I went to high school, she lived about a quarter of the mile down the street from me. And my dad was the superintendent of the new superintendent of the school district. And um, I can't, her, either her mom or dad worked for the school district. And my dad, on there, he came in, and he got a 45, and I still have it. He said, hey, this is this is a girl that, that lives here, and, and she likes country music too. And, and her, anyway, her name's Leanne Womack which is what, how we pronounced it. And, um, and it was a 45 of her singing a Patsy Cline song. And uh, he said, I don't know, you guys ought to... And anyway, I remember going down to Leanne's house and playing Judd songs and her singing. And so I was 16. And uh, I saw her today, as a matter of fact. You know, 30-something years later, I saw her today. So I ended up playing on the road with her some. Once she got her record deal, I was her road manager for a while. And, uh, so, so you road manager and then played guitar some for her? Yeah, first, like my first gig with her was right when she got started in like 97. I went out as her road manager. And um, that was another great, just crazy experience where I got to learn about how the road works. And, and you know, we were playing these huge tours and playing these George Strait Stadium sold out all day events and then playing these little clubs where you got to, you know, go get paid in cash and, and hope you make it back to the bus kind of stuff. So it was just really great educational. And then I went back and played on the road with her for a few years, like when There's More Where That Came From came out, which is probably 05-ish. Were you years. with her when I Hope You Dance It? Um, no, actually, that was there in the gap where I wasn't with her. But That's the, probably why it was so big. Yeah, I mean, there's no she question. That, but but the, the funny side note is, going back to the Sons of, I told you about the Sons of the Desert, they're the ones singing background on that song. They're the ones who sing the, you know, time is, is a wheel and cut. That's yeah. them. So the band that I started in college. So you that, influenced that whole song is what you're saying. I mean. Every part of that song was influenced everything by Everything but Beavers. writer's credit, I feel. <laughs> so, yeah, the band I started in college and left ended up singing background on the hugest hit of my high school friend. Pretty cool. crazy? What happened to that band? They, uh, you know. As, as the wheels of Nashville turn, I guess I guess it just didn't work out. Did they ever um, get a hit? Did they ever get a song? I think they had you know, a couple of marginal, you know, yeah. semi hits. Nothing, nothing big broke all the way through for them, and they were great. You know, I think they were actually a little ahead of their time, if you ask me. So you did the deal with Leanne. You wrapped up your second stint with her. Then what? Are you just a songwriter then? Yeah. Did by that time, I was songwriting. I, I had, after I went on the road with her the first time, I I ended up getting. Back in the label game, um, there, there was a Virgin Records for a hot minute here in town that Scott Hendricks opened, and I went and worked for them. I don't think we were open two years. And then I went and worked for um, Mike Dungan at Capitol, who I know you recently did a Bobby cast with, and um, at Capitol. And then 
they had a massive, you know, 20% layoff and I was one of those people. So I always, and, and, and at that point I'd already been deciding and thinking like, I think I'm in the wrong side of the business. I don't think I'm supposed to be doing the label stuff. I think I want to be writing. I'd been writing at home and uh, just for fun and had fallen into a couple of cuts. And like I said, in retrospect, now I know how unusual that is. Um, and I just didn't see all the signs. And, and then by that, by the early 2000s, I'd already had a pretty sneaking suspicion that I was, I should be writing songs. So that's when I kind of, when I got finally laid off from Capitol, that's when I said, all right, this is my chance. I think I had a little bit of severance pay or something. I had a brand new baby at home. And uh, I was like, it's now or never. And thank goodness it worked. So, I, you know, it, it was really just like, I may have to go back to Texas if this doesn't work because the label side doesn't want me. It kept not work, working out for me. In every pair of Tacova's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tacova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they'll last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. They offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. And stay cool in short sleeve moisture wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tacova's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. Tacovas.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food. So the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because... I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me, in this fight, and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. What was the first one that you wrote that kind of got a little play and you're like, oh, maybe I can do this? Like you got a little bit of radio I got play? It. Uh, well, not radio play. Uh, the first cut that made me think maybe this won't be as bad or as hard as I think. I, I got one on the My Town record from Montgomery Gentry, but it was just an album cut. But the if you want to bring Dirk Spentley into this, I mean, that's what just absolutely saved me. Dirk's I had met 
because he was a newly signed artist on Capitol. And so he hadn't come out yet. And I'd met him not only at the label, but my brother was writing songs with him. And, and my brother ended up being his producer for like the first, uh, I think, four records. But so Dirks and I just like guys kind of became buddies and went to lunch a few times. And then all of a sudden he got a record deal. And, and I was, I think I was still working at Capitol. <laughs> and we, I said, you know, I don't know if you know, man, but I kinda, I, I'm writing songs too. Oh, really, really? A label guy that writes songs or whatever. And, uh, and we wrote one day, we wrote one song. He ended up cutting it, which is, ask any songwriter, they'll be like, I got to write 30 songs to get one. Anyway, we wrote one day, we wrote one song, he cut it, and then it was a single, and it was a hit. And it literally saved, saved me and my family, you know, and it gave me, I didn't have a publishing deal, I could not get a publishing deal in town. And so, um, what was the song? It's called How Am I Doing? And uh, I even wrote it under a pseudonym because I was still at the label. I wrote it under uh, a name called Writer X, and it really pissed off a lot of people in town. Because they just uh, pissed off, may not be the right word. It, it created a lot of uh, interest and it piqued a lot of people's curiosity of like, we all try so hard to get our names on songs, and there's somebody who's using an assumed name, and who is it? And, and uh, all this stuff. So it, it was fun. It was a, a talking point for Dirks. And it wasn't that well kept of a secret, but like Red Solo Cup, you know, 15, 17 years later, somebody still calls me Ryder X every week. They just thought it was funny that yeah. somebody did that. So this song, you wrote this song. Where did it, where did it hit? You remember? Got number four. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For, and it was the first song you wrote, like with Dirks. With Dirks. You just first and only. And, uh, yeah. So does that open up other doors with Dirks specifically? Like if you have a, a hit with Dirks, top five song. Yeah. Does he go, hey, we should get back together and write some more? Well, with him, it did because we were at, we were and are friends. You know, we have an actual real relationship. And um, so, yeah, we then, then I mean, he went out and killed the road. Like, he was gone 250 days a year. But, you know, started writing regularly. Oh, I'm making a new record. And I, it wasn't like we were writing every week. But, you know, I would try to come up with ideas for him. And when he could squeeze a day in with me, we would write. And, and you know, he's he's been the biggest factor of, of my career you know to this to this date and we're still great friends and I've, I've he's cut you know a bunch of songs of mine and for other artists a lot of times it's you know a lot of these other songs you played i don't meet the artists until the number one party like you know it just got played for them and they liked it and then they cut it and uh you just had the right song at the right time so the relationship really wasn't there and sometimes you get one with them and sometimes you don't see them again so it's kind of weird what was the one where you were like, oh, I can't believe that artist has decided to cut my song? Like, of all the artists, that's really weird that they, they're the one who liked that song. Yeah, um, wow. Uh, well, besides Toby Keith cutting, anybody cutting Red Solo Cup, um, uh, Josh Turner cutting uh, Why Don't We Just Dance. I didn't know him, and I, I thought it was a great song. I did. I do remember thinking, I said, I think this would be a really big song with somebody, and he was the perfect artist to do it. And, and But I didn't realize it until I heard him singing it. I was like, dude, that's it. It's like... And, yeah, you, and, you, and you didn't voice. know him? No. Didn't know him? Now, at, here's a question. After you, like Josh Turner or Luke or even like Easton Corbin, after you have a hit with these artists, then do you like exchange cell phone numbers and can text them at any time? Or is it just kind of like, hello, goodbye? Um, it can be a little of both. It depends on, uh, my experience has been, it depends on where they are in their career. If it's Luke and he's already Luke Bryan and, and you know, he's just got people coming out the woodwork trying to write with him or get him songs and, and uh, 
it's only natural that these people are going to have a little bit of a more closed circle. It's not like, well, he heard a song you wrote, so now you're, you know, hunting and fishing and loving every day with him or something. So um, it, it's usually more like that. If you're coming around later in life and they're just hearing a song, you're, you, you know, you may have a little bit more of an open door to them, but I've never had another Luke Bryan cut. You know, I've never had another Josh Turner cut. Do you have Josh Turner's cell phone number? I think I do. Do you have Luke Bryan's? No. I text him today. You want it? You just did. hit him up and be like, <laughs> hey, Luke. Just say it on the air and I'll write it down. I did, yeah. yeah. Can you imagine how pissed oh he is? Oh, my God. I'm I have here. Luke on my phone three different times. I text the two people that aren't Luke anymore. Because I have it as Luke, Luke Brian New, and Luke Brian New Real. Mm. And so, like, stop hitting your number. The Luke, poly, yeah. you're not famous. Stop yeah, having people yeah. chase you around. Yeah, the most famous is. guy in our format. Um, how about Gary Allen? Do you have his number? I have Gary Allen's number. Uh, I've written with him a couple of times since watching airplanes, yeah. Here's uh, watching airplanes, which peaked at number two, the most frustrating. It actually positions. got number one on one chart. So yeah, I, that's I, not the real I, chart, though. <laughs> that's not the real chart. I call it a number the, one, bro. Do you? I do. I say it's my first number one. Of course, it was number one on Interesting. Like, air check. Bro. I would contest that. I would raise my if I was in the crowd. I'd be like, "Excuse me, sir." No, no, no. Songwriters like if you sniffed it, if mm. it was number, if it was number one for you know half a chorus on Saturday night, it, it counts, man. I, that's fair. Now here's what I say. I have a a kid song that went number one on like three different charts. There's not really a kid's official chart. Though, well, then it's there's like one. It's I, number one it was number one on iTunes for two weeks. That's number one. It was number one on the Disney Airplay. Number one, right? So I guess that counts. No I can't make fun any, of you. any chart. It's my mom's favorite. It's my mom's it's favorite. <laughs> number one, number one. This was a jam, though. This is a jam. Still a jam. Yeah, they, they still play the crap out of this song. Um, it so it's it. That's one of my favorite songs I've ever had out. Did you write that with him? No, I wrote it with Jonathan Singleton. Yep. It, and so, but then you then you wrote with him afterward. You and Gary wrote other songs. Not until probably six or seven years after that. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of wild. I know that it's, you it's, become friends way later when you're not even connected. Yeah, I, you know, it's just it. it I don't know. I'm, I, you know, some of these some of these writers are like they're best buddies with everybody, and they're 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 hitting them up, and then I I I don't know if I'm just not that kind of person or if I don't know how to do it, I'm, I'm definitely not very good at it. I don't, I don't really get in. I always, uh, I, I, I'd like to think, man, if, if they like my song, they like my song and that ought to be good enough, but uh, I'm not real good at working it. But, um, but yeah, you do, you'll run into them. And like I said, there may be an open door like, Hey Gary, you should listen to a song. This guy wrote watching airplanes, <laughs> you know, maybe that's as far as it goes. I don't know. Billy Currington, you have his number? I don't think so. I'm going to say no to that one, too. Yeah. I'm, uh, you feeling a no at the way I'm looking at I'm feeling at you? a no because I know Billy a little bit. Okay. And I like Billy, but I don't have Billy's number. And once Billy comes up and he writes me on a piece of paper and he goes, Yeah. Writes this thing down. Yeah. He's writing it and he folds it up. Yeah. And he takes my hand and he sh shoves it in my hand and then shuts my hand and goes, That's for you. And I'm like, What? Wow. What is this? Is what? it a Billy art? Is it a Billy original? <laughs> and I open it up and it wasn't even his cell phone number. It was his email address. Mm. And he put his email down and was like, Hit me up. We'll go surfing. One, I never surfed in my life. Yeah. And uh, two, he didn't write a cell phone number down, which was weird. So I felt like he didn't give a cell phone number out. Maybe yeah. he doesn't have a phone. Was it an AOL.com address? Or I do think or? it was kind of an old yeah. school address, though. Maybe it was like an, well. It was like maybe, a Yahoo. Maybe that was the artist version of the girl in the bar that didn't want to give you her real number. Maybe, but I didn't ask for it. Oh, okay. I didn't ask he, for he anything. Yeah, he volunteered it. Okay. All right. uh, you wrote don't. Here you go. Here's Billy Carrington, don't. Now, this... Do you count this as a number one? That was a number one. Mm, peaked at what, two. What chart are you looking at, man? I count it as a number one. Okay, then number one it is. Because at that time, there were two charts. There was Billboard and Aircheck. 
Okay. And if, if either one of them got number one, we were throwing parties. Great. I, I'll tell you this. I went to a number one party for that song, and I went to a number one party for watching airplanes. So if that don't one, mean two, number three, one, four. I don't know what does. How many number ones do you have? Nine? Nine. Okay. That I know of. Oh, no, that's kids. That's, Sorry. <laughs> uh, Easton Corbin, loving you is fun. Oh, it is. Isn't it fun? Is this the number one? No. That's a four. Doesn't yeah. it sound like, like a four? Apparently, there's like some station that refuses to play him, so he can never have a number one. I'm probably... Did it, divulging thing no, but you know that's a thing where some people just won't play certain people if they really pissed them off. I th- that might have happened with mm-hmm. him, I, which I, is detriment. There's a few, like big time. Yeah, there's your, a few in your world, yeah. and and now it's I've called a few of them out publicly and they've stopped doing that a little bit. Good. Where I've been like, hey, and what'll happen is you go. I'm just gonna say, hey, John Smith, not a person in Houston, is a city, but not the one I'm referring to. I hear that you're not playing certain artists. You'll hey, do this on the air? Yeah. Uh-huh. Let's not make that a thing. And usually, if they know somebody knows and we'll call them out, they'll stop doing it. Wow. The, the Bobby Bones shame play. I like it. Well, you just shouldn't penalize art if you don't love the artist and your job is to share. Like, that's, that's your job. If it's a song that's researching, don't let your personal beliefs hold back what you think would be best for your station. But yeah, I've heard that, not about Easton, but about a couple other people. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the case with him, or, or it was. Uh, Chris <clears throat> Stapleton, Parachute. Yes. You wrote that with Chris? I did. Yeah. You and Chris used to write regular or no? We did. We wrote very regularly for um, for a few years, for several years. Like every, you know, one of those, usually if you have like a, what we call a standing appointment, it'll be every two weeks or every month. You know, you'll we're, we're every other Wednesday or we're the first Tuesday of every month, you know, and so you'll look at your calendar. That way you know you've got you've got the appointments coming up. It, so you can kind of get in a groove with somebody if you, if you enjoy yeah. writing with them or if you do well with them. And, you know, if you don't finish the song that day, oh, all right, we'll get it next time. Or So Chris and I did write a lot um, regularly for, for years. I was uh, looking at the Hootie uh, track list because I, I love Darius. I've been friends with Darius since I was yep. 17. Yeah. He's my first ever radio interview. You met him. I, I listened to your book. Man. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah I that, did. That's my dude, right? Yeah. And so, like, we, through format changes and, you know, we've kind of bounced around. And um, so I'm a huge Hootie fan. Yeah. And I was looking at the songwriter listings, and I see you and Chris Stapleton That's wrote right. one of the Hootie songs. Yeah. I think maybe the only one or a co- maybe two that weren't written by Hootie and the Blowfish. I saw the track listing. I think it is the only one that, that, that a Hootie or a Blowfish was not on. And so. I don't have the clip because it's not out yet. Yeah. But... How does that, how, first of all, how long ago did you and Chris Stapleton write that song? That song uh, is called Hold On, and it's probably four years old. Yeah. And how does the song last for four years and then get to somebody? Well, you want to know the specific story about yeah. that song? Um, I was meeting with um, Brian Wright, uh, who is the head of A&R at Universal Records. They're the people who are in charge of signing new artists and kind of overseeing recording projects. I was meeting with him probably four months ago about a completely unrelated thing. And at the end of the conversation, he goes, man, do you have anything for Hootie and the Blowfish? He said, I just, I just, we're having a hard time just finding just the perfect thing for them. They're writing some good stuff, but we're just looking for something. And I said, I actually have something I think we perfect for him. And I played it for him right there. He already knew the song because he works with Stapleton. And, you know, he just kind of lit up. He goes, that's it. He said, that's the best one I've heard. That's it. And then they ended up cutting it. So I was just, if he hadn't brought that up to me, that song, you wouldn't be missing that song right now. That's how weird the business, and you know how weird this business is. It's little things like that can make or break and a song can be recorded, not recorded. It was literally in passing at the end of a meeting, he said, I'm looking for something. And I just happened to think of that one song. So, so if anybody at any time goes, Hey, I need a song for Celine Dion 
and you really don't have one, but you have a bunch of songs, be like, of course, here you go, and just pick one of them and play it? I would only do that if I really didn't think I have. I wouldn't have said that to Brian if I didn't honestly believe I had a song that they would do very well. Because that's now you're talking about your credibility, right? And if you and if you have that one shot with somebody and you play them a piece of crap, then they they may not ask again. So that specific song you're talking about with Hootie and Blowfish has always been one of my most favorite uncut songs. So I have no I have no problem selling a song if I really really believe it. And there's not that many I really really believe in, but that's one of them. For sure. So, I don't know if I if I I probably wouldn't have a Celine Dion song. To be honest, I don't know. You've written some good stuff. Yeah. That, go back to drinking <laughs> beer for a second. Uh, did you? Is that a you and Stapleton track? Correct. Because Stapleton's singing. On he sings background back, on the, the background Luke song. Right. That's exactly right. And so they they uh, didn't invite me to come in that day. I don't know. Maybe they gave me the wrong studio. Um, you probably just misplaced. Because I, I get I a lot of invites that don't actually get to me too. And they're okay. like, oh, we meant to invite you. I'm gonna go with that. Invite one of those. I'm gonna go with that. What's the, what's the story on this song? Um. This is another one where um, I was sitting on my back porch smoking a cigar, playing my guitar, and um, I, I remember that, that the chorus came to me, um, or as writers like to say, God whispered it in my ear, mm. Bobby. Do you like that? Is that a little more poetic? No, I, you're, not, I, yeah. you're not going there. Okay. I think people, if you really feel that way, um, I, I don't feel like God's I ever whispered a song into my ear. I don't feel like he has okay. in mind. I don't know why, but that, that chorus came to me um, in in its form, which is the four lines. You know, I'm going to sit right here on the edge of this pier and watch the sunset disappear. Do you like how I run pier with pier? Deep. Yeah. And drink a beer. And so I don't know why it happened. It was with that guitar. There's a picture in here I'm pointing to. And um, I put it in my phone. I was like, I kind of like the sound of that. And then Chris and I were getting together. And, you know, like all writing appointments, you kind of just start staring at each other and like, you got anything? I don't know, you got anything? And I said, man, I got this little thing. I don't even know what it is. And I played him the chorus. And he, I remember he laughed because of how long I waited before I went and drank a beer. He just thought it was funny. He said, that's a really long pause. I said, I know, I, I know it's long, but it, it works. You know, he, it, he said it did work. And uh, that song, you know, has been another crazy learning experience for me because, um, that song means a whole lot to a whole lot of people. Uh, I, I will play a show and I'll play that song and invariably somebody will come up and say, oh my gosh, that we played that at my grandfather's funeral or that was my, it's usually somebody they've lost, you know, which is is is, is a powerful thing to hear as a, as a writer. And, and to me, the weird story is, you know, we had the chorus, which if you listen to the chorus, there's no context to it. It doesn't say why this person's doing what they're doing. It's just four lines, right? And so... It was like Chris and I knew the answer to the problem, to the math question. Then we had to go figure out what the actual problem was. And we tried a lot of different ways to get what we thought it was, oh, maybe he just quit his job and it's kind of a fun, I'm going to sit out here. And, and we tried and it never felt right, never felt right, never felt right. And uh, we tried a lot. I remember we tried a lot of different ways. And then I don't know which one of us in, in the room, it, it, man, what if, they, what if that person used to go do this with somebody they just lost? And then it, it just, everything clicked. Just because we kept trying, kept trying, and the song was there. And uh, did so, anyone yeah. else put that song on hold before Luke got it? No, no. Um, it was out for a while before he, before, he, before he cut it. I mean, it was probably in town for six months or a year. And then uh, Jeff Stevens, his producer, heard it and said, "I think Luke would love that song." And again, it's another case where the song is just the song, but then you match it with Luke and Luke's story, and now it's a thing. And so. Again, as a writer, you don't control that. It's just you're just the, the you're just the conduit, you know. And, and 
the universe has different plans, you know. When you and Chris are riding and you guys are going to sing the demo afterward, do you always make Chris sing? You know, he always wants me to sing because he likes to steal his licks from me. I don't know. A lot of people <laughs> don't know that. Um, uh, not always, honestly. Not always. I've got work tapes where we've written and I'm actually singing. Ill-advisedly, I'm singing the, the, in the phone. But, but usually it's him. Yeah. And he's, and, you know. I, the, uh, do you, want, you want more inside yeah. stuff? Like the Hold On song that Hootie and the Blowfish cut, that is, uh, I had a drum loop going in the room and I just recorded Chris singing it on my iPhone and that's what we pitched. I mean, we never did anything else. It was just Chris singing in the room. Over a drum loop? Over a drum loop with, with us playing guitars, just like it, when you and I write a song, we go, all right, let's put this down so right. we'll remember how it went. And uh, we never demoed it, we never did anything special. It's low, very- Just an iPhone? Just an iPhone work tape. Is it on your phone? Probably. Let's, let's let's hear a piece of it. Cause uh, I, you want to hear a hold on? Yeah, just a piece drink of it. A beer or what? Well, yeah, let's let's uh, any of them. Let me see if I can pull that up. I bet I have. Is your whole phone full of? Yes. <laughs> full of it. All right. This is this is. I mean, I can, I can do. We can yeah. do this, right? Yeah, of course you can. With his voice. Absolutely. Okay. Let me see if I can pull it up. I'm trying. Which song is this? This is Hold On. The, the one that Hootie cut? Yeah. Drum loop? That's my big fat drum loop. That, can you hear that? Yeah. And you're going to hear the velvet tones of Chris Staple Tone here in a second. Is this what you play to your buddy? Did you, what's that? Wow. And you know, and Darius can sing that. Yeah, man. I mean, it, you got to have. And what is that? Uh, you with the fiddle? I was just or what? pitching you another song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, is this the wrong time for that? Or? It's interesting that you have that because, again, who can who can sing that with that power unless it's somebody who can sing that? I, I, I don't know. I just write them, man, I, or I try to write them. I, yeah, yeah, but Darius can do it. Like Hillary Lindsay will cut songs. Yeah. And the artist almost can't sing what she uh, writes. Carrie Underwood's she... about one of the few. Otherwise, I mean, sta and, you know, if, again, going real into the weeds, Stapleton had that effect on people when he was primarily known as just a writer in town. I mean, he would, you know, sing his own demos, and it would intimidate the artist that the songs were being pitched to, and, they'd, and they would fall in love with the song, and then they would they'd go in to cut it, and they'd come out going, "It's just not the same." Right, like it's not as good as the person who's saying. <laughs> right, yeah. and so what they were doing, they were falling in love with Chris, you know, and they were falling in love with that unbelievable vocal, and and you know, it's that's very it, he's a perfect example of that. And so now a lot of times with with demo singers, you know, the people who are actually singing the songs that we pitch to the artist, you don't want them too good. And even if they're capable of somebody like Hillary, like, which is why you sing more of them now. Yeah, that's, so now I'm getting a lot of work lately. <laughs> Um, it's, it's, it's shocking. So, uh, no, so you, and even if they are a capable vocalist of like blowing your mind, you will tell them just tone it down. You want it, you want it pitched as generic that you want the, you want the song to be the star, not the singer. 
you know. It needs to have a vibe, but it doesn't need to have a vibe. Man, just a vibe, but no tricks, no crazy trills, because yeah. if that artist doesn't like those things or is not capable of those things, they're going to be thinking about it, and they're going to go, well, I, I can't do what they're doing. You, you want it, you want the melody presented in a, you know, in a fairly generic way. It's, 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 and it took me a while to learn that, too. You know? I think Caitlin Smith had that effect on people, too. There's She'd a lot of singers. blow yeah. away the track, yeah. and people would be like, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. And it has nothing to do with the song. Even, even, even you know, like some people's voice, mine probably, is just a... Almost, don't, don't start at the camera. Just, just, there's oh. a camera looking at you, but it's just part oh. of the whole shindig. Okay, right? it's, it's, it's almost too twangy, <laughs> yeah. you know. It's got a country, East Texas thing to it. And some people don't like to listen to that. And so even though I'm singing the exact same melody that somebody else is singing, you know, I know I should not sing this song. We got to get somebody else. It has nothing to do with the song. None of the lyrics are different. None of the music is different. It's just who who's communicating it, and it makes a big, big deal. That's an interesting concept. And a lot of people will bring their phones and play, like, work tapes like that. Yeah. And it's, um, it's pretty cool to hear that because rarely anymore are the work tapes just blowing things out of the water because, again, they're like, well, if, if it's too too vocal, people will hear it and go, well, I, I can't do, how would I cut that song right. if I don't have that skill set as the person who's singing the demo? Yeah. And I mean, there's lots of little tricks. Like, you know, if you're going to be pitching a certain song to a certain artist, you may try to cut it in their key, you know, so you imagine them driving around in their truck listening to demos and, oh, I want this person, I want them to be able to sing along, yeah. you know, so if it's a McGraw, you may go, let's put it in a McGraw key, you know, and stuff like that. I mean, there's, you know, you try any little advantage you can get to make your, because they're listening to hundreds of songs possibly so yeah do you have what else do you have on your phone let's do another one i got lots of stuff on my phone do you have uh, I have a lot of stuff that you and i have written do you want to <laughs> <laughs> uh i might have like the you know, drink a beer yeah see if you can find that one let me see let me see let me see you and do you archive any of those or if you just lose your phone i'm just searching and, for and it and they don't come in the cloud you're they're just gone no i will what about will, the jim beaver's museum after you die yeah, well, there's already a, a vibrant one right now in East Texas. Um, um, this is this is Stapleton singing "Drink a Beer" right here. I, is it okay for me to play him? Chris has played it on our show. Okay. Let's see, I, I you know him being a recording artist, I don't know if. That's the day we wrote it. Do you guys put the phone down in the middle of you and just get over the top of the yeah. phone and play it? Yeah, well, you'll no you normally slide it about three quarters of the way closest to the singer is the best way. Now, I'm going to come in here and take the chorus for you, Bobby. No. That's the day we wrote it. That's cool. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that's cool. cool. I didn't know I had that on there. When uh, Chris, because we would have Chris in the studio before he hit, because he was just a songwriter that I thought was awesome. And I was getting in a lot of trouble for bringing random songwriters to perform. Mm. Um, and luckily, Chris hit. It was not luckily for him, for me. Because once he hit, everybody left me alone. That kind of validated your opinion. Crushed it. Just They were like, <laughs> oh, okay. That. You were in front. You were in front they of They were like, wave. yeah, we're going to stop. You just do you. Because I you know, I had, I'd had some success with bringing a couple artists, but I was getting heat from people, um, like my high-ups, that did no country music going, you, you shouldn't bring on. And I was still pretty new. And the idea was like, he's an unknown. And yeah, a complete unknown. But I was like, guys, he was doing Josh Turner, um, Your Man, yeah. 
maybe lock him down. Yeah, yeah. And he did. He came in and, play, and he played drink a beer. Yeah. And he played. A few, and they were like, you know, I know he's written these songs, but I just don't think that you should have on. And I'm like, well, first, it's my show. Like, you didn't bring me over here to do what you want to do. Yeah. And no disrespect, but let me. And when he hit, I was so thankful. That's great. I was just because then you look like a genius. And I wasn't. Yeah. I was just following what I thought was good. No, go with, go with the genius thing. It's always better. I was number one yeah, genius, yeah. on the you genius were, chart. Were one yeah, it was amazing. Chart. So I've run with that you ever since. That. I've been number one ever since. Sure. You know, it's it's is it whenever songwriters come into a room together and you both have had some success in the past? Because I'll compare it to you and I, where I haven't had success as a real life songwriter, but I've written a bunch of stuff, either books or some dopey songs. And you go for me, you know. Working with you, I go. I don't know if I want to pitch this idea, about having poison ivy in your genitals, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I don't even know really know like, this guy. I've already, re- I've already written that. Yeah, book. I'm sorry. <laughs> and it's like cause I, that one specifically. I was like, <laughs> I got this idea, and it's about you're with a girl, and it's like, hey, don't run away. You just got it's, it's just poison ivy. Yeah. And here you are with drink a beer and parachute and. and I I'm, can and, play you fifty of my poison. But ivies, I, but I don't know that, right? Yeah, right. But it, I guess my question is: Is there ever that awkward feeling from you? When you have this idea, and maybe it's not, you know, as dopey as, as that one, because now we have a rhythm and we have ideas that are too dopey, and we're like, eh, maybe not that one. Yeah. There's the comfortability after about the third right. Sure. Do you ever go, man? I don't want to go and have to go to maybe the Warren Brothers or Chris Stapleton and be like, I have this idea about, you know, a sausage factory. Yeah, yeah. And in the sadness after it closes. Yeah, it is sad. If you love sausage, it's really sad, and it's the only one around. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, but I think you learn really quickly if you're doing this every day. You, if you're not willing to be vulnerable, then and 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 to look, you know, we all you've heard it, we say dare to suck, and you'll usually you'll prep. I'm, all right, I'm going to dare to suck, and then you know, you're just letting them know you're about to say the stupidest thing, and and usually it's half baked. You don't even know what it means, but you think there's something in there, and then sometimes somebody's like, oh, what if you boom, and they'll twist it and be like, that's exactly why I had to say it out loud, and it'll make perfect sense. So. But with with you and I like trying to write like funny songs and stuff, I knew I knew I had to come in here and be willing to look stupid. I didn't know you very well. I really didn't know you at all. And I didn't know your your sense of humor, your personality. But you know, we found each other, and 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 now, like you said, we're comfortable, and I can play you something, and you can go, yeah, that doesn't really work, and I don't. That's fine with me. It's like oh, because I know other things will work. You know, it's funny too how I, you go. I actually, I trust your instincts. You know, because I, I very much trust your instincts. So. Whenever we were sitting in a hotel room in maybe Amarillo, and it was like four, and I'll just pull up my were phone. We, were, we we, were we sitting? Were we laying down? We were. Well, I was laying down on the yeah. bed. You were oh, sitting. Okay. To <laughs> be you. fair. Thank you. And we were, uh, and I'm not sure who actually. Maybe it was me. I hate to say it was me. If it wasn't, maybe it was me who goes. We should do a song about a fanny pack. I'm not sure. Was it you? I, it was me. Was it? <laughs> but I, but I turned into but again. It no, no, matter. it didn't matter to me either. But it was like, why don't we do it as a rap song? Because that's where it came in with because, me. Because I told my wife about your show. Is said, that what it was? I said, he's got this funny song where he puts these jorts on okay. on stage, and she said, "Did he have a fanny pack?" I said, "No, but he should, because that would be like the next gag, you know." And then I, I just that literally just happened maybe that morning. I was telling my wife about watching the Raging Idiots. So. Maybe I should know who has ideas, because again, I was like, I don't know who had this idea. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But does, me, it, it, doesn't does matter. it not matter to songwriters when you're? Does it some sh- people get butthurt over it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it shouldn't, um, because um, I mean, it, the way I look at it is, it's it's if you brought the idea in, even if you wrote ninety percent of the song. That I look at it like that song would not have existed if you had not 
given birth to it the way it was given birth to, you know. Now, unless you've got a fully realized song, you just kind of come in and to an artist or somebody and be like, hey, maybe we could change the third line. You know, that's a different thing, and that always feels very skeevy to me. But, um, And I also believe if you're serious about doing this for a living, it's going to work itself out. There's going to be other times where you're the dummy in the room and you just caught a lucky break and somebody was on fire, you know, and, and that's just part of the process. If, if you, if you run around worrying about credit or who did the line, whose, whose idea was this, who came up with that, you'll drive yourself nuts, man. And, and people, humans want to do that, but you got to fight that. I think if you want to be healthy. Well, so I had this idea about a fanny pack, right? Really <laughs> interesting. Cause I've already written it. Oh, my bad. <laughs> no. So, but I remember where it came from you where, and Probably, I, you know what? It probably came from my wife. See, so should I? Should I be sitting here taking credit for her? You she's, should not. She's the one who said then she should he, get the writing credit. Yeah, you see it? Not writing credit, but no, if, all the writing had, credit. But but let's back it up. If right. you want, if I hadn't told her about George, she wouldn't have said fanny pack. So so I get the credit. So back, back to me. To you. Back to me. But honestly, you can follow that thread all the way. It's like, well, then where do you stop? So this song, fanny pack, you pitched the idea and I was like great I do remember going hey let's make it like a rap song yeah, and I don't yeah. know if you've ever written a rap song before I have have you of course which one you can't tell by looking at me not okay. at all. nothing nothing you've heard um, and it turned into this did this ever work for you when I texted you I got the, the second one okay. worked it worked worked it and I'll play a little bit of it yeah and it turned into like a funk yeah white boy it's great I remember Brandon Ray going, if, you, if you need an epi pen yeah. to bring your granny back. And I thought, that's a funny yeah. line. It's really funny. Yeah. That means granny was gone. And, and you're he needed an epi pen. <laughs> And so, you know, and we're like 70%. But there's no way that song would have happened if, if we four had not written it exactly where we wrote it. Agree. You know, it's just, and so you've got to let the process, to me, you're doing it right if you just, if you say the song is the star, the song is the star, and all that matters is the song. If you, when you walk in that room, that's what happens. Check your ego at the door, and it's all about the song, and you walk out, and you don't smack talk or anything about, well, I had the idea and this, and, you know, it, that's not in service of the song, you know. That's my theory. Well, then for now, I want to talk about that song. I'm going to say, well, so I had, had I wrote a song called Jorts, and somebody got it came back all the way around. So right. then I wrote Fanny Pack. Right. That's in fine. essence, whatever. However, <laughs> just, but this is your your domain. <laughs> this this stuff is your domain. Yeah, right? I'm I'm totally playing. Um, but I think I think we're going to cut because you're coming on the road this weekend, and yeah. you're actually going to play. And we're gonna make the live record, right? In Little Rock, so very excited. Uh, there's two shows in Little Rock, right? Mm -hmm. Are they back to back? So no pressure. Yeah, I know. Your home. There's, there's kinda only your, no, no, no. Your home There's town. only one show in Little Rock. Okay. So okay. we got to make it work, or it doesn't okay. count. All right, I'll do my best. We got I'll, lots. I've got of songs. all the songs charted out. I really do. Is it weird? Is it cool? Maybe both. That when we write a song and I take it and I record and I, I play it immediately and we record it and I send you the video. Yeah. I mean, is is that different than it's, what? It's. Uh, I've told you. It's the. It's most refreshing crazy thing for everybody listening like bobby and i literally the day of a show might write a song and he fearlessly will get up there and do it that night i'm like how are you even gonna remember the words <laughs> but he'll do it and, and sometimes we, i don't but it doesn't matter but right. he, immediate in, immediate feedback and you, the way i way i work is i say oh we should have done this we can do that it just tweaks tweaks 
in the comedy Love world. notes. I, I love, love them, man. And I'll send them, I go, okay, look at this. What do you think didn't work? What did work? Yeah, no we've, question. Been, we've been changing songs that we wrote four weeks ago. I mean, if Seinfeld at his level can grind on timing and what, I mean, then, then I, I wish songwriters would do it more. They don't. I like, I like to rewrite songs. I'm, I'm always like, the song's not done until it's cut. And, you know, Sometimes I'll completely rewrite a song and then realize the first way was the right way. And I'll spend, I just did that recently with a song I wrote with my brother. I said, hey, man, I think we missed it. I'll be this. And then I played it for him. He was like, yeah, I like the other one better. I said, I think I do too now. But I've spent hours, you know. But the immediate feedback of you playing a song live and knowing when people laugh and me moving from country songwriter to, you know, raging idiot writer, um, is has been such a refreshing uh, mind mind thing for me because the the lyrics are so important. You can't cram too many in because your audience has to hear every single word. It's like a joke. It's like a joke. If you don't yeah. set up, then you, the punchline doesn't matter. And um, of course, you know, vocally, you Stapleton. I mean, I, I can't even tell the difference. I can't time. either. So that's why I don't cut songs anymore because no, artists can't cut them. I get it. It's yeah. been so nice just to know, guy, he can do anything with this song. <laughs> so uh, no, it's been, dude. I, this is no BS. It's been. The most fun I've had in a, such a long time. You can you can ask my wife. She's like, "You're a new man." I was like, "I know." It's been. I, I was kind of born to end up probably getting to help somebody like you. So it's been great. Well, let me ask you a few questions here that have nothing to do with your uh, your career. Do you have any Grammys? No, I know. I just want to ask that. Two Grammys. No uh, grandmother. <laughs> oh, well, hold okay, on. Got it. Oh, got the, it, you say Grammys? Yeah, you know Grammys. Oh, I had oh. two Grammys. Oh, do you have any Academy Awards? No. My favorite Are you thing going to do. For the EGOT, bro? <laughs> my my favorite thing to do to Jim is if a Tim McGraw song comes on the radio, Eddie and I do it every time. It doesn't matter if as long as it's not the one he wrote, we're like, hey, did you write this one? Yeah. If, if it's the yeah, dark yeah. one, you don't. We're like, hey, did you write this yeah, one? Yeah. We know he didn't. Yeah. We Knowing, just, knowingly, no, no Grammy. No, I don't. I don't really have any any awards. No, except for all your number ones. Your nine number ones. Yeah, yeah. Except for but that. I've never won like a CMA or ACM, like one. Um, What's the most number ones you've had in a year? Have you had two in a year before? I've, I've had two in a year. I think I almost had three in a year one time, but I don't, it may have been 13 months or something, but who's counting? Yeah, not you. Okay. Who, Wait, whose year was it? Yeah. At certain year charts, Wouldn't it was year, all in one year. The Aztec calendar, maybe you got three in a year. Why not use that calendar? <laughs> I, I'd love to use the Aztec calendar. <laughs> okay, let me ask you a few of these. What's the last movie you saw in theaters? Uh, my wife and I went and watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I haven't seen it. Mike saw it. You like it, Mike? That's a good movie. I loved it. Yeah. I like anything Tarantino, and uh, I thought it was great. I, I, like, I like Brad Pitt, and I thought it was good. What's was, the last concert you bought tickets for? Oh, my gosh, dude. I honestly cannot think of one. Being in the business, I can't think of when I bought tickets for a concert. I think I might have paid, paid for but not attended tickets for One Direction for my daughter. So she went. She went. Do your kids think it's cool that you've written songs? Um, they might have at some point, but they don't. It doesn't seem to register with them as anything weird. Are they um, musical? Um, they both like music and they both can sing. Neither one of them really play anything. Um, but they they both. My my son's fifteen and he loves like classic rock and Tom Petty, and uh, my daughter loves eighties George Strait. She's been wearing me out and listened to like early George Strait on the way to school the last few weeks. Um, so they, they have, I think a lot of kids of their generation have very eclectic tastes, you know, and so, but, but they're musical in, in the sense that they like music and they can sing, so. I'll give you one more. Instead of a last meal, you're offered a last song to sing before you die. That I wrote? To listen to before you die. You don't have to sing it because you're probably dying. 
to listen to before you die. You don't have to write. It could be any song in the world. Before I die, like I know I'm like, going to die. It's like as soon as the song's over, you're dead. So it's the last song There's you get to pre- listen to. You know what? It's interesting you say a, a friend of mine named Troy Tomlinson, who has been my publisher for a long time. He's a he's a big wig here in town. Turned me on to a song by the Avett Brothers called No Hard Feelings. Have you ever heard that song? No. And just a few weeks ago, he said, you got to listen to this song. And it, it, it made me, it literally made me cry. And I hardly cried anything. I mean, I cried knowing I had to come over here. Um, I I've, cried knowing I'm going to have to go out with you this weekend. Tears of happiness. So that's, yeah. Well, obviously. Um, yeah. It, and it, 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 it's beautiful. He's crying right now. Mike, got to shut that down. <laughs> cue the tears. Let me end on this question here. Yeah. Um, you've written with Taylor Swift. <laughs> I have. Which version of Taylor Swift? No, I wrote with the 14-year-old version of Taylor right. Swift. Right. Yeah, yeah. So what's it like to write a song with 14-year-old Taylor Swift? Well, she was not, you know, quote-unquote Taylor Swift yet at that point, obviously. So this is before she put out her first record. Um, she was pretty new to town and was making the, the, the rounds around town looking for co-writes. Um, and I'm not sure who set us up. Um, but she couldn't write until 3.30 because she had school. And she and her mother would sit on the other side of the door, you know, appropriately so. And um, I, I learned a great lesson. Have I told you this story before? Continue with your story. Okay. okay. Um, I learned a great lesson from her because, you know, at that time I was, I guess, in my 30s or something and thought I was this real songwriter or something. And I remember like, what am I doing in a room with a 14-year-old girl? You know, what what, what in the world can we have in common? And, and uh, this just... It still sounds crazy, right? That 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 a teenage girl became what she is and what she was. I mean, it's unbelievable. She's singular, you know. And so I remember having a bad attitude about the right. Like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And then getting in the room with her, and she's very pleasant, but she knew exactly what she wanted to say. She was, you know, in a good way, pushing me around the room. Like, I'd go, well, you know, an experienced writer like myself might say this. And she'd be like, no, no, that's not that's not how I would say it, you know. And so what I learned from her is that from an artist's perspective, she knew exactly who she was. She knew exactly what she wanted to say. She knew exactly where she was going. And to me, that is like, now, that's the number one thing I look for somebody. It's not even what their voice sounds like. It's not what they look like. It's like if they have a vision and a focus of who they are, that that blows everything else away because man, there's lots of great singers and great writers and you know turn on American Idol you know you're on there I mean there's just great talent everywhere but but the artists and the ones that connect you know 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 why they're going to connect and they connect with people you know and the song that you guys wrote I don't remember the title I don't even think we finished it I think we wrote maybe twice and never finished it you and wrote two times I think we wrote twice and didn't finish one song uh-uh. and is that your fault probably. She probably sensed that I wasn't buying into her and probably ended the, I don't want to speak for her, probably ended the, the thing early. And uh, a little, I'll give you a little coda to this story. We both wrote for Sony Publishing, which has tons and tons of writers. And several years later, um, Sony has this big, uh, every year they have this big annual uh, Christmas brunch where they, all the employees come, all the families, hundreds of people, and then they will give out awards. You know, there's always a... Uh, Joe, you know, who's worked here for 20 years award, who's worked here for 50, and then they'll have an artist of the year, artist writer of the year award, and a writer, of, just a songwriter of the year award. And so that year, 
I got I got the writer of the year award. She was going to get the artist songwriter of the year award. At this, this is just at a brunch at a country club, right? And uh, she was already Taylor Swift at this point. So we were sitting at the same table, and I was kind of like, "Hey, Taylor, remember me?" And she's like, "Oh yeah, yeah." Anyway, so they they awarded her and gave her 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 uh, award. And she she went up to say a few words, and she was just like, "Oh, Sony, you guys are always been my family. You believed in me when nobody else did. I mean." I've just grown so much since I've I've been associated with you guys. I mean, I remember when I first started, I was writing songs with people like, and she looked over, people like Jim Beavers. Um, <laughs> I just always remember that. I thought it was great. And I know how she meant it, but I know how I took it. Yeah. I'm like, so I was, you know, I thought that was funny. That's my that's my Tay Tay story. It's a good one, and it's also there's a lesson there. Like if somebody knows who they are, now I know. Don't 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 push back. Mm-mm. And if and if they know how to connect, if they have a connection if they know how to connect to people even if it's not people i connect with i I pay a lot of attention to that because because that's uh that's an authenticity that you can't you can't make a song make somebody do that you know well in this podcast mike i just caught him in a lie he did win an award. He just said he'd never won an award, and then three minutes later he goes, I well, won okay. an award. <laughs> well, I would, I'm just saying, you just contradicted yourself award. right It's like it. being it best, best Jim Beavers at my own house or something award. It's not, and have you, you know, won that? I did. Okay. I did two, two times well, in good, a row. Good for you. Yeah. Well, listen, do you have anything? Um, you don't have to mention it now. Is there, are there songs out now that people are like, oh, I think I like this. Maybe it's on hold. Is that always a thing? Always. It's all. You're just always wondering. You're always wondering. I'm wondering about the, the Hootie song. Will that be a single? Are they going to do a single? Will that be the one? Mm. I mean, because I, I love the song. And um, so all you can do is sit and, and wait and then, you know, try not to uh, get too depressed if it doesn't happen, you know, keep moving forward. Of all the ones that you wrote, of all the hits you had, what's the song that you want to be remembered for? Um, I'd probably have, could, could I say two? Two songs. I I, I, I one, know you only asked for one. I, sure. Well, watching airplanes will always be special because it's a wacky song, and it was my first number one, and it was a number one. And then drink a beer um, solely because of how I've learned that people it has affected people. Yeah, that's a thing. It's a thing that yeah. I I did I very very much underestimated the power of it, and and I don't take any kind of credit for it. Um, and and yeah, so that that's even though it's kind of a sad connection, it's it's an emotional deal. Well, here's a little bit of drink of beer. We'll play it one more time, everybody. So Jim Beavers, episode one ninety nine. Jeff Funch, first podcast. Yeah, I can't believe we've it. done it. We've done an hour. What do you mean that's it? We've done over an hour. Have we really? Yeah, seven oh four, seven oh five p.m. now. Okay, you come in. It's easy when you're talking about yourself, right? It goes by by quick. You know all the answers. You're a good interview. Yeah, you know all the answers. You know all the answers. I was nervous, man. I told my wife, I said, I don't really know. Am I supposed to have stories ready? Yeah, you know, I was asked, I was like, no, just have them show up. And one, we already know each other. I'm not even wearing shoes. Yeah, I'm not wearing underwear. Yeah, so it works. (laughs) I'm actually wearing your socks and you're wearing my underwear. So it's a whole thing. Um, All right, is there anything you want to promote? Okay, there we have it. <laughs> Raging Idiot Show in Oklahoma City. Oklahoma Little City and Little Rock. Rock. That's right. That's it. But by the time they hear this. It'll be too late? No, there'll be a couple of days, but I yeah. think they're both sold out. Are they really? Yeah, so are you, you can be honest. Were you surprised when you would see the amount of people that would come to our shows? Yes. Yeah. Because why? Um, because I'm not a daily listener of, of yours, and I haven't ever been. Right. I have a five-minute commute, and so... Um, and I just didn't realize how big, I'm sorry, I didn't realize how big uh, 
the impact was, and, and the way I told it to my wife was, it's like he's got a, a, a very loyal, like they're not passive Bobby Bones fans. I mean, they, there's like a, it's a thing. I, don't, I know that's not very well said, but it's a, it's a, I think you've had, you have it when I talk about a connection, like Taylor Swift having a connection with you. I think you have a very specific connection with a, with a very specific, pretty good-sized group of people, and it's beyond entertainment. Mm. That's what I think, and that's what I told you to say. So thank you for yeah. For, so anyway, do you still need this piece of paper? I don't. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's episode one ninety nine with Tim Beavers. All right, and everybody, you can watch. Uh, you can watch this um, up on YouTube. I'm glad my profile is the star here because it's well, no, so, it's not so your profile. strong. It's this one right here. Oh, even that better. Camera. And now he's doing rapper hands yeah. to it for some reason. He does one rap. Uh, oh, sorry, many rap <laughs> that we don't know about yet. Right. All right, uh, episode one ninety nine. Thank you very much, and don't forget check out uh, Velvet's Edge with Kelly Henderson. And check out Four Things with Amy Brown and a lot of the other podcasts here on the Nashville Podcast Network. All right, bye, guys. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. In every pair of Tacova's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tacova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit Tacova's.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. And don't go gently, y'all. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.